Good morning. My name is Michael McCusker. Today is Groundhog Day. And while Vernonia Veronica emerges from underneath Oregon in search of her shadow, the USA acknowledges its debt to a race of humans always regarded as the nation's shadow people. Yet there would not be a United States of America without their presence, whether in the centuries of their bondage and most particularly since their chains were sundered by a colossal civil war. The essential idea for Black History Month, officially ratified in 1976, two centuries after incubation of the United States through revolution, and a century of bitter struggle to assert their constitutional equality, came aptly from a black historian and teacher named Carter Goodwin Woodson. In 1915, he co-founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. With Jesse E. Moreland, a black minister in a succession of black clergy inflaming black liberation over the centuries. Woodson said of the necessity to acknowledge black history in America, quote, if a race has no history, it has no worthwhile tradition in the thought of the world, and it stands in danger of being exterminated, unquote. The late, great Paul Robeson, son of a preacher and former slave, himself an all-American football star and top graduate of Rutgers and Columbia Universities, whose magnificent voice catapulted him to musical fame throughout much of the 20th century all over the world, said at a post-World War II peace conference in Paris, France, we in America do not forget that it was on the backs of white workers from Europe and on the backs of millions of blacks that the wealth of America was built, and we are resolved to share it equally, quote, unquote. And he said much the same when he was subpoenaed to appear before the House Un-American Activities Committee. Because my father was a slave and my people died to build this country, I am going to stay here and have a part of it, like you. And no fascist-minded people will drive me from it. Robeson was only three years old when President Theodore Roosevelt emulated Abraham Lincoln's Civil War invitation to talk with former black slave, philosopher, teacher, and ardent black nationalist Stephen Douglas in the White House by inviting former slave and founder of black colleges, Booker T. Washington, to the White House for lunch in 1901. Immediate reaction to this repast of a black dining in the White House was framed by North Carolina Senator Benjamin Tillman, who fulsomely ranted that a thousand Southern blacks, men, women, and children, would have to be murdered quote, before they learn their place again, unquote. A couple of graphic examples of that place blacks occupied in white consciousness were recorded by a historian named Jeff Sparrow, 
when he interviewed a white Southern family who recalled that their slave-owning ancestors had whipped a young black slave girl to the bone, quote-unquote, for dropping and breaking a dish. And also a highly educated black actor who told Sparrow that talking with whites, he sometimes felt they saw him with, quote, thick lips and a bone through his nose, unquote. Paul Robeson died in 1976, America's bicentennial year, and the same year President Gerald Ford, a left-handed Republican, proclaimed Black History Month. Initially, Carter Woodson and the African American Association sponsored a Negro History Week half a century earlier in 1926, choosing the second week in February because it encompassed both Frederick Douglass's birthday on February 14th and Abraham Lincoln's natal day, February 12th. The idea of expanding the week into a month did not occur until half a century later. President Ford said in tribute to Black History Month, quote, in celebrating Black History Month, we can seize the opportunity to offer the two often neglected accomplishments of black Americans in every endeavor throughout our history. Unquote. Yet, still, and in this not quite post-Trumpian age, pervasively, American history continues to be taught primarily from a white perspective, which is only a portion of the nation's triplicated history. The first three-century portion was primarily eradication of native peoples while firmly establishing black slavery, primarily in the South. But the North, and later in the West, including Oregon, slavery was long permitted. The two remaining modes involve integrating white with black American history, which would be an obvious distortion without that integration, a lie that continues to perpetuate the ugly racism that undercuts and embitters our truly pluralistic historicity. White supremacy ideology grew up on the fringes of Southern rage at their defeat in the Civil War and the abolition of slavery. The most infamously murderous were the Knight Riders of the Ku Klux Klan. Lynchings of blacks were commonplace after the Civil War and lasted until the sixth decade of the 20th century. The only verified lynching in Oregon occurred in February 1902 when a black citizen of Coos Bay was shot multiple times by a so-called vigilante white posse and his dead body was strung up to a tree. The great black and most distinctive American singer of the 20th century, Billie Holiday, famously sang Strange Fruit. Lewis Allen's anti-racist poem put to music, which she made disturbingly an American anthem. Southern trees bear a strange fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at their root, black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees.
and noted black scholar A. Philip Randolph, who conceived the famous Black March on Washington, D.C. The insistent cry for freedom on the part of the Negro has kept the American people face-to-face with the fact that a democracy has not fulfilled its highest mission so long as there are people in the country, black or white, who cannot participate in the affairs of government, industry, or society generally as free, intelligent human beings. And that was A. Philip Randolph. And now, from the Washington Post, Florida is offering an advanced lesson in anti-blackness. And it's written by Karen Atiyah, who is black. There's that saying that goes, white privilege is when your history is the core curriculum and mine is an elective. Well, to Florida and Governor Ron DeSantis, Republican, black history isn't even worthy of that bare minimum. Last week, it was revealed that the Florida Department of Education had sent a letter to the college board saying it would not adopt the board's new advanced placement African-American studies course for its public schools. The course is, quote, inexplicably contrary to Florida law, unquote, the letter said, and, quote, significantly lacks educational value, unquote. Meanwhile, AP Advanced Placement Courses in European History, American History, World History, U.S. Government and Politics, and other subjects in various languages remain untouched. What a surprise. For the uninitiated, the College Board has for decades offered AP courses and exams in a variety of subjects for high schoolers. The course material is supposed to be more intensive and to mimic what would be offered at a college level. To high school students who do well on their AP exams, many colleges and universities offer first-year course credit. This day and age, it ought to be no question that African-American studies deserves AP treatment. It is crucial for all students to have access to this history and this knowledge and for scholars in the field to have an opportunity to reach younger generations. The availability of this course would also be hugely meaningful for black students. Study after study has shown that black students are likely to be more engaged and perform better in school when their identities and histories are affirmed and in a way that goes beyond fetishizing black trauma. I was an AP student myself, scoring well enough on the European and American history tests to gain college credit. But I will never forget how humiliating it was to ask my teacher why we were not learning about Africa and black people when so many other groups' histories were considered essential. The AP African American Studies course is not even formalized yet. It's in a pilot phase. For a decade, a group of African American scholars has been working to develop the program. 
only 60 schools across the nation are testing it for the 2022-2023 academic year, though the College Board is hoping to roll it out nationally by the 2024-2025 school year. DeSantis's move, therefore, can be seen as a preemptive strike on the continuum with all his recent attempts to cut off efforts to teach tomorrow's adults about black Americans and their place in history. This would be a slap in the face at any time, but DeSantis's latest escalation comes during the same month as the centennial of the infamous Rosewood Massacre, when white residents destroyed the all-black town of Rosewood, Florida. It is more like stabbing the backs of black Floridans with a hot knife. And surely, Florida is a testing ground. Most likely, it's only a matter of time before conservative groups in other states use their institutional power to attack AP African American studies as well. The history of the African American experience in the United States cannot ever be eliminated. But the bastions of white power in this country are doing their damnedest to eradicate it. In 2020, the whole world watched a white police officer eradicate George Floyd on camera. Diversity and inclusion programs are being eradicated from schools and corporations. Now, a state is using its power to eradicate the elective inclusion of the African-American experience in education. What can be done? First, more colleges and universities should band together to say they will recognize AP African-American studies and give incoming freshman course credit for the AP exam. With those incentives, it stands to reason that more students and educators will want to see the course offered in high schools. Second, colleges should continue expanding their offerings of black history and black studies, including majors, minors, and graduate degrees. There are also legal challenges in the works. Jane I. S. Nelson, president of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, told my colleague Jennifer Rubin, quote, AP courses are college-level courses that, by extension, are protected under the First Amendment, and the specific targeting of African-American studies is evidence of unlawful racial discrimination, quote, unquote. But allow me to zoom out. I would be remiss not to note that this should be a learning movement for all of us, for white people especially, about the failure to rein in the post-Black Lives Matter normalization of anti-blackness. As soon as the panic about wokeness, quote-unquote, in schools and the supposed teaching of critical race theory hit the mainstream, many black journalists could smell what was coming. The laws against critical race theory and legislation, such as Florida's Stop Woke Act, another DeSantis special that has faced legal challenges, were always about anti-blackness. 
I have tried making this point over and over in my writing and in chats with well-meaning people who wanted to understand what the right was fussing about. I would hear people insist that if we just explained what critical race theory was, we could win by making fools of the conservatives who were banning non-existent critical race theory courses. Those folks were wrong. Instead, by singling out AP African American Studies, Florida is showing us what the end game was always about, making institutional anti-blackness lawful again. And that was. Florida is offering an advanced lesson in anti-blackness by Karen Etia. And she wrote that for the Washington Post. And now, from The Guardian, Yale honors black girl, nine years old, wrongly reported to police over an insect project by Ramon Antonio Vargas with a subhead, Bobby Wilson's efforts to rid her town of the spotted lanternfly unwittingly touched off a national discussion about racial profiling. A nine-year-old girl who had a neighbor call the police on her as she worked to eradicate invasive insects from her hometown has earned honors from one of the United States' most prestigious universities. The Yale School of Public Health earlier this month held a ceremony citing Bobby Wilson's efforts to rid Caldwell, New Jersey, of the spotted lanternfly according to university officials. The 20 January gathering also recognized Bobby for bestowing her personal collection of lanternflies to Yale's Peabody Museum, which entered the collection into its database and listed the child as the donating scientist. An assistant professor at the public health school, Iojima Opara, told those at the ceremony that she organized the event to bring attention to Bobby's bravery and how inspiring she is. Yale doesn't normally do anything like this, Opara said, according to the university. This is something unique to Bobby. Bobby, who is black, unwittingly touched off a national discussion about the sometimes mortal danger associated with racial profiling on October 22nd, when a neighbor called the police on her as she used a homemade repellent spray of water, dish soap, and apple cider vinegar to kill spotted lanternflies feeding on trees near her home. Lanternflies are invasive pests which are native to Asia and harm trees in a variety of ways, including by sucking their sap and causing holes through which harmful substances can then enter them. Scientists, whose ranks Bobby has long dreamed of joining, advise people to kill the insects to protect the environment. Yet that day, police stopped and questioned the girl, whose loved ones have nicknamed Bobby Wonder, after being summoned by a neighbor who considered the girl a suspicious person. There's a little black woman walking, spraying stuff on the sidewalks and trees, 
the caller told police. CNN reported. I don't know what the hell she's doing. Scares me, though. The caller later reportedly apologized to Bobby's mother, Monique Joseph. But with research showing black and Hispanic children are significantly more likely to be shot to death by police than their white counterparts are, Joseph said the neighbor's call put her daughter in lethal peril. In an interview with CNN, the executive director of the Georgetown Law Center on Poverty and Inequality, Rebecca Epstein, said that the episode starkly illustrated the bias that black girls like Bobby face in the United States. The center, in 2017, released an analysis which showed grown-ups in general perceived black girls as not as innocent and less deserving of protection than white girls, in a sense, adultifying them, and that's a quote, and leaving them more vulnerable to harsh treatment from police. After Opara saw national news coverage of the police being called on Bobby, Yale officials said she contacted Joseph and invited her to bring Bobby as well as her older sister, 13-year-old Hayden, to meet black women who were pursuing successful careers as scientists. Hayden's appearance at a local government meeting about Bobby's police encounter was a large reason why the national media paid attention to the case. Bobby and her family accepted the invitation, and they toured Yale in November. When Bobby returned with her mom, sister, and dad, Dale Wilson, more recently, the Yale Peabody Museum's entomology collection manager, Lawrence Gall, thanked the nine-year-old for the 27 specimen collection of spotted lendered flies that she had amassed and donated. We are so grateful for all of the work you've done in New Jersey and your interest in conservation and checking out the lanternflies advance, Gall said. They are just starting to come up here, so we are very happy to have these specimens. Oprah added, we just want to make sure Bobby continues to feel honored and loved by the Yale community. Bobby, for her part, placed a label on the collection that identified it as hers and, for future researchers, reported where as well as when she had assembled it. The public can already view the collection in the museum's database. Meanwhile, Joseph thanked Yale for its support and pledged that her family would make sure, quote, Bobby lives up to her fullest potential, unquote. This happened because of what happened to Bobby, but it also happened because the whole community, the science community, got together and said, she's one of us and we're not going to let her lose her steam, Joseph reportedly remarked. I just appreciate it. It means the world. And that was Yale honors black girl, nine, wrongly reported to police over insect project. And it runs a photo of she with a great big smile wearing her glasses and showing off her collection of lantern flies and, of course, to a big sheet. This 
is Michael McCusker. Bill Anheuser Schalk engineers this program. Our playground earth is simply just another spinning ball among billions of such, surrounded by zipping smaller balls that so far have not recently collided as they bounced past, although one apparently was a breathtaking near miss a few days ago. One such collision a few million years past apparently wiped out the dinosaurs and a large portion of other ancient earthly biology when it slammed into the Yucatan Peninsula and altered much of the surface of this oceanic planet. And, of course, the green comet is passing us in the speed lane. This past Sunday was the 59th anniversary of the great late Cold War movie spoof of nuclear annihilation, Dr. Strangelove, subtitled, How I Learned to Stop Wearing and Love the Bomb. Produced, directed, and written by Stanley Kubrick, assisted by the great American porn writer, Terry Southern of Lolita Renown. At present, we have a new nuclear porn figure in Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump's pal and patron. Happy Groundhog Day. <laughs>